Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to Reproducing Church podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and I'm here today with the pastor of Disciples Church in Folsom, California, Stu Streeter. Stu, welcome on. Good to be here, Peyton. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you. Oh, so just a little introduction about Stu. He is with Excel Leadership Network and also with the North American Baptist Conference. Now, he started with a small group in 2008, met regularly into early 2009, and had a soft launch in summer of 2009 with 30 committed adults. Small beginnings, but then went on to October of 2009 with 100 plus. Since then, Disciples Church has planted 10 other churches and continues to assist church planning work in Guatemala. So that's pretty impressive, man. Um, tell us a little bit, how did you get into church planning? You know, uh, the, the story of our uh, church planting journey really begins, honestly, with my wife. She came to faith in Christ in college, hadn't really ever been to a church. I was a church kid who left the church with some wounds, like many, and when we were coming up on college graduation, we'd been involved in a vibrant campus ministry and knew it was time to find a local church. But I just didn't want my wife to experience some of what I experienced growing up in uh, some of the tradition I had been part of. So we looked for a church that was outside the box. And we heard about this church uh, nearby where we lived that was new, and it was uh, meeting in a movie theater, and they were taking the offering with popcorn buckets. And this was 1996, 97, and so that felt pretty revolutionary to us. And as it turned out, it was a three-week-old church plant. And we got connected in, and it just lit us up. People were choosing to follow Jesus every week. They were innovative. They, they didn't feel some of those trappings, and we were bit with a bug. We went on to go into church ministry for a number of years, and I did youth ministry. And about every six months, the founder of that church would call me, J.D. Perrin, who is the founder and executive director of Excel. And he would call me about every six months and uh, say, hey, man, I think you might be a church planter. You should go through assessment. And this went on for almost 10 years. And finally, he got me on a down day, and, uh, and I was kind of scratching my head thinking, you know, what's next, and uh, agreed to go to a church planter's assessment. And really, the rest is history. Jen and I ended up gathering a small group some years later and, uh, and launching Disciples Church. That's very cool. So, uh, you know, in some ways, I mean, for all church planters, I, I think God calls us on a bad day, right? It's kind of like Absolutely. A- you know, uh, almost like a gotcha sucker when he puts us into it. But um, how did you end up? I mean, you know, you're planting your own church, right? That That's enough. You know, you, you plant a church. At what stage did you realize, hey, we're going to we're going to start planting other churches? I mean, most guys are just trying to keep afloat at that point. But you've planted 10 churches in 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would, you know, I would caveat some of it in that we've helped 10 church planters in 10 years. And I think that's a really important distinction. And we can get into that more later. But but to some extent, really, it began from the very, very beginning. We knew that we wanted to be a multiplying church. 
And we didn't have language around that yet. But what we knew is we wanted to be the kind of church and the kind of leaders that that held all of that with an open hand. We believed wholeheartedly that the gospel expands quickest through new churches. And we believed that with all our hearts. And so uh, after we got going and realized how hard it was to plant, we just looked around as a group of friends and said, this shouldn't be this hard. And the bottom line is uh, we can make it a lot easier for the women and men who come up behind us to plant by simply helping them out. And so Early on in our first year of our church plant, I met a church planter who actually was going to Maui, Hawaii. We had some people connected to our church who had always wanted to live in Maui, Hawaii. And I just played matchmaker and connected some people in our church with this planter going to Maui. And that formed a relationship. And on our one-year anniversary as a church, uh, we announced that we were going to help plant a church in Maui, Hawaii. Uh, so it was just, you know, the the providence of God and, and his kind and gracious hand to us. And we got to have just a little bit of a part in that first one. And I'll tell you, we were bit with a bug. The idea of having a piece in what God is doing, you know, across an ocean or across the street bit us hard and we were hooked. And from then on, we just began to look for high level leaders that we felt like we could connect with and that maybe we had a little something that could serve them and help them get further faster in what God had called them to. And so, yeah, like you said, we've planted um, with 10 other planters over the years mm. and um, and helped a bunch of others as well. And that's just been uh, such a joy. So with these high-level leaders that you're identifying, would these come from inside or outside? Would there be a bit of recruitment going on as well? Or would it be like when Paul bumps into Apollos and it's just kind of like, hey, we need to harness that guy? Yeah, I, I, I'd say, you know, it's a mixed bag. It's a, it's a bit of everything. But most of it has come just from being in relationship with church planters, from being in those sort of a- atmospheres where we have met guys who wanted to plant churches and simply said to them, hey, that thing you want to do, we can help with. And so most of it has just been rubbing shoulders with other planters. Um, We've worked hard to raise them up from the inside out and and to be just real candid. Our success rate of raising up planters within our body has not yet clipped over the mark where I would say, yeah, we've got that. Right. Um, And... uh, Man, I, you know, you'll have to have somebody else on the podcast who's got that nailed down. We've got some other things that we're good at, but that has been extraordinarily difficult um, because of just the unique anointing and, and even some of the shifts in, in Western culture as we uh, enter into an age of post-Christendom, it, it, just the way we do church is changing. And so that has changed some of the ways we recruit. Interesting. That's really cool, man. So with your, uh, you see some high profile leaders, um, people that look like they have a lot of potential. Um, how do you get them ready? Like, uh, how do you work with them? How do you do, prepare them? So if you've planted 10 churches or even, as you said, you know, we've, we've been the e-harmony at times, even um, we've supported or we've collaborated what what does it look like what what role do you play in developing planners so that they don't get punched in the face super hard well the the first piece is um reminding them they're gonna get punched in the face 
And, uh, you know, it's the old adage of everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? And church planting, like any kingdom venture, is going to come up against attack. And I know it's a bit cliche, but if we set out to do something with God and to join him in what he's doing and we have no opposition, we might need to take a little stock on whether we're doing something with God. And uh, that's the, the critical distinction between doing great things for God and doing great things with God. Because right. great things for God will go off without opposition because they're done on our own strength and they'll pitter out. But doing great things with God, we're just going to have opposition. So certainly we just, you know, guys are going to get punched in the face. So in terms of the preparation, uh, having a one-on-one -on -one coach is so, mm. so key in that process. Okay. Uh, good assessment so that you can find the holes in a particular planter's character or a particular planter's uh, makeup and help them staff and build around their weaknesses and really leverage their strengths is super key and all of that. And then, frankly, just having a friend, you know, we just mm. we need friends in this church planting world. Yeah. And uh I was just telling a story with some planters today how when, when we came to town, we began to make our rounds to churches around town and tell them, hey, we're here and we want to plant a church and we want to reach people who are far from God. And, and we were wide-eyed and excited. And I, and I, time after time, not every time, but so many times, I came in contact with churches and pastors in our region who said, listen, you're the 11th guy to come to town in 10 years to try to plant a church. I'll learn your name when you have a building or I'll learn your name when you've been around a couple of years. Uh, and hmm. so it's just, you just don't get a warm reception. Right. And so to simply, you know, some of the best ways we can prepare planters is to get, get them a coach, assess them well, uh, build some sort of a residency system around their life, whether it's formal or informal, and then simply walk with them. Just be a friend. Um, I've got a friend who we helped plant nine years ago. Who's going through some stuff right now. And I was just on the phone with him yesterday, and uh, he's in on the East Coast. And I said, listen, I'll, I'll fly out there in a couple of weeks, and let's just get together. We just need to be together. Um, so they just need a friend, you know, ultimately, so often. So in a way, what you're saying is, you know, kind of like you said, where guys were kind of like, hey, look, <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just another quick gun in town. You know, the, the, the latest kid that thinks he can sling a gun fast. Um, what you're saying is, you know, don't be that guy. You're actually kind of crossing the road to be the other guy. You're, you're saying, hey, we want to be the enabler. We want to be the equipper. And I think a lot of uh, ministers and pastors, probably uh, people that are listening, don't realize that they don't have to have all the answers on church planting. In some ways, uh, one of the biggest uh, drawbacks of planners is when they don't have any ministry experience and their first go is trying to plan a church. And that can yeah. go horribly wrong. I mean, even the Apostle Paul goes and spends time and grows and cuts his teeth a bit in Antioch, you know, before the Holy Spirit says, now set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. So even even Paul needed some time to develop. And uh, and I think we forget that. But for those of you listening that are, are uh, pastors, I think it's really important for you to realize that even if you don't really know um, all the ins and outs about planting to come alongside a planner like 
kind of like what Stu's saying here, and just be an encourager might be the slipstream that actually gets you in. Because you've, you've really emphasized relationship with pastors. It, for you, it's very relational. I mean, with planners, it's very relational for you to just start building the relationship and, and kind of reaching out and almost shepherding these guys, right? Am I following you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when, when we planted Disciples Church, <clears throat> there was a call on our life from God. And there was a people that he put on our heart for God hmm. that was unique to the way he had wired us. And, and we had a pretty good sense for who God wanted us to reach out to and how he wanted us to do some of that. And so we have to believe that that is true in the life of other leaders and pastors who may set out to plant a church. So what they don't need from us uh, is as much one, two, three, how to get it done, or here's who you ought to be about. What they need is they need you know, a friend to navigate stuff with, uh, a friend who's going to sow into their life, a friend who's going to say, hey, do you, do you need something? It's open to you. A friend who's going to say, hey, you need a little corner in the office to work or you need copier access or, or you know what, you want to sit in on some board meetings to learn how to run an elder board meeting. That, they just need that stuff. They need an open door. And for so long, we've been so territorial in Christ's church that the thought of inviting another local pastor to sit in on our board meeting to learn from us and to help us get better is, is like revolutionary. But outside the church world, this is normative. You know, competitors in the marketplace will meet up and swap notes because they know that they'll make each other better. And uh, not to get too best practicey with it, but we can learn a lot from that as uh, leaders in the kingdom about just having an open door. You know, it's so funny because Exponential's theme in 2020 is together. And it's all about right. kingdom collaboration. And I think that's going to be, you know, how much could the, the Methodists learn from the Baptists or the RCA learn from the Anglicans and, and vice versa? Um, you know, I think that's going to be what happens is mission becomes the unifier within the body of Christ. We are all called onto the same mission. None of us has said we're called to a different commission. The Great Commission is the same across the body of Christ. And I found that in a local church planning scenario where that becomes, mission becomes the unifier. Um, it becomes the collator, really. But uh, as as you look at your um, opportunities right now, what are, what are some things that you're excited about with reproducing? I think one of the things, uh, it's firing me up and it's a shift in, in trend that I'm seeing, is I'm seeing an increasing number of potential planters interested in doing residency and interested in partnering and learning. And that encourages me greatly mm. because there is nothing, frankly, more exciting for a church like the one that I lead that's 10 years old that if it weren't for the fact that we're helping church planters all the time, we would probably lose our church planting DNA. Right. We would lose some of that genetic coding because there are people, lots of people in our church now who don't know us as a church plant. They only know us as the church that's there on, you know, Iron Point Road. And so working with church planters, it's it's like the greatest joy in the world for our church and such a shot in the arm every time a new church planter comes through our church and 
learns from us and we learn from them and they go, hey, have you always been doing X that way? You should really probably stop that. And we're learning from them. And that kingdom collaboration, as you mentioned it, it being exponential steam for the year, I am seeing that as an increasing passion among established churches like ours, as well as new church plants. And that, I think even that collaboration together is going to bear monstrous fruit in this next season of the local church, especially here in North America, where we're seeing, you know, less and less and less people excited about church as she's currently organized. And we we just got to learn from each other so that we can reach uh, this mission field that sits before us. What are, what are some examples of collaboration you've seen? Because I know you're always working with churches from all different denominations, and people come to the Excel Network, um, and, and they come. I came to one of your assessments recently, and they were from a, a variety of different backgrounds. So what, what does that look like? Like, how does one denomination or grouping, how do they work together with you guys to, what, is, what does that look like on the ground to actually church plant? Yeah, I, I, I would say our experience as a church in that collaboration has been largely regional in the church plants that are planting in and around our region. And just, you know, new guys come into the city, new guys come into the region and wanting to connect and, and wanting to get something launched and collaborating in that way has been um, very fun. We We have a little system at our church that we call a fishing license, and we invite guys in if they're planting a church, especially if they're planting within our tribe and there's going to be a long-term relationship with them. Uh, Our doors open a little wider to them because we know we'll be in relationship long-term. But we'll just give them a fishing license and say, hey, for the next three months or for the next six months, um, come hang out with us and you can recruit anybody in our church to leave and go help you plant your church. Wow. and at the end of that time or at a number cap, just like when we fish, you know, you're, you're, you're capped at 20. And so once you recruit out 20, that's your cap or a period of time, three months, your cap mm. so that it, it avoids some weirdness or some poaching. But, but just having that fishing license has created an excitement and a sense of mission, uh, I think, at times among people to say, you know, hey, what, what are we up to? What are we doing? Uh, and it gives that planter an opportunity uh, to collaborate in those ways as well. So that's been really fun to to do a little bit of that in our church, but also to just uh, proclaim that out in the universe, if you will, to other church leaders around that, hey, you can do this, and uh, your people are going to be excited about it, mm. and you're going to get to send people on missions. So that that collaboration of a fishing license has been really helpful. We, uh, we'll do a simple thing for a church planter. If they're launching, uh, we'll bring them up in front of our church, and we just have them build an Amazon an Amazon shopping list. <clears throat> what stuff you're going to need, and then we'll send that shopping list out to our church and have everybody bring an item on a particular Sunday. Wow! And uh, we just tell everybody in our church, everybody's a bringer. So we we are a people who bring. So bring something to gift, whether it's a one dollar gift or a five thousand dollar gift, and then we present all that to that planter to just bless them on their way. That's been a really really fun collaboration. Um, a number of other things, but th- those are two that come to mind that I think any wow. church can do. Any church, no matter no matter if they're just kicking the tires on reproduction or whether they've been doing it for decades, any church, the idea being we get everybody engaged in reproduction. Hmm. That Reproduction is not a sport just for the church leaders. 
is for all of the churches. We've got to engage them. And those are a couple of collaborative ways that have been really fun for us. So going back to your residency, what, so you talked about the fishing license. What, what else might they be doing in the week? Tell me a story of one planner's journey from start to finish. Yeah. So for example, we've got one, uh, one planter who is in residency right now. He's, he's actually in the Pacific Northwest. He's planting up there. I was just up there a couple of weeks ago, hanging with him. And so he's working with a church there on the ground and doing some day-to-day work, but we're going to bring him down here to NorCal and he'll spend a week to 10 days. He and his wife with us, and he will just shadow everything we do for a week to 10 days as a church. He'll come to every meeting. He'll be involved in every planning session. Um, he'll preach on a Sunday for us and just kind of see the rhythms that we are living as a church plant and, uh, and as a church plant that, you know, obviously is 10 years in, but he'll just see all of those rhythms. And then at the end of those 10 days, we'll just say, okay, what is it that we're doing that you want? And hmm. so if it's our accounting system, it's yours. If it's hey, I want your preaching plan, it's yours. If, hey, I like the way that you're leading your preaching team, how do you get that off the ground? Or how do you get a staff role? Or any of that stuff, we just open it up and go, anything that we've done or created is yours to take. And that way, it's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure. We're not uh, we're not implying that he wants all of our stuff, you know, but just saying, hey, okay, you've seen us from the inside out for 10 days. What would help you get further faster? And, and it's all yours. Um, and then, you know, our church has an opportunity to partner with it in other That's ways, right. financial and otherwise. So what have been some some key things that or any patterns that you've noticed with church planners where they're like, man, this, you know, is what I want. Has there been anything where it's almost like a, a nine out of 10 that they're going to go for this every time? Is there any anything that they want when they come through? Are there any significant questions that they're like, I got this burning question. I need this answered. Is there any trends or patterns you're seeing with the planners that come through? Yeah, I would say um, a couple of things that come to mind that are constant trends or questions that come up on a regular basis. One would be how many of us as planters aren't really sure first how to build a leadership team and then how to lead that leadership team. And, and, and not to presume, you know, any planter out there listening would want an elder structure or non-elder structure or whatever, whatever your flavor is and your theological polity and, and all of that is, is all well and good and fine. I'm not here to argue for one or the other, but I am surprised at how often guys say, I don't even know how to build that team. I don't know when I should build that team. And how do I then lead that team on a month to month basis? So uh, that's been really, really fun to let guys just sit in on our meetings and then just send them the folder of, hey, here's the Google Drive of nine years of, we have an elder structure at our church. Here's nine years of elder team meetings. Have a ball. You can just see the arc that we've <laughs> that we have followed, for better and worse, right? Yeah. You know, for good and bad and the ugly. Um, so that's that's a key one of just when do I build a leadership team? Uh, how do I then assemble that thing and equip them? Um, and and then how does that work on a week to week basis? I, I was on staff at a number of different churches in a full time role before I planted, and in. Th- all three of those churches, I had the same dynamic play out, and they were three different polities, three different uh, denominations. 
congregational structures all three times. I would be sitting in an elder meeting as usually the youngest guy around the table because I was one of the younger staff guys. And the question would come up, hey, Bill is rotating off the elder board this next year. We need to fill his spot. You guys, can you suggest anyone? And the conversation would move very quickly. And somebody would say, Bill's rotating off. We really like this guy, Ken. He coaches my kid in Little League. He's an usher, really good guy. We should have him be an elder. Everybody would confirm, yeah, Ken's a good guy, coaches our kid in Little League. Let's ask him. Somebody would then go talk to Ken, invite him to be an elder, and sometime later, Ken is now an elder. And that was it. I mean, that was the preparation process. That was the vetting process. That was the discussion. Ken coaches my kid in Little League. He's a really good guy. Well, then let's make him an elder. And so when we started Disciples, we created a really distinct process to develop elder-level leadership and pastor-level leadership. It's about 18 months. It's all on our website. It's all free open source. We give it to anybody who wants it. Um, you just go to disciples.church and you can have all of it under leader formation. And so that has been a really, really key piece for us uh, in helping develop. And that's a trend that comes up often. Guys just want to know how to build leadership structures within their church. They know how to get that. They know how to get that first partner, but how to build a leadership team hmm. has been really difficult for a lot of guys. Right. Right. I mean, I've, I've definitely noticed it, you know, often planners are, you know, they're, they're convinced of team leadership, team leadership model, team planting. It's just, they agree with it in theory. They just don't know how to do it practically. And so that I could see that being a huge, uh, really boon to planners. So, uh, over the next 10 years and I, and I know it's 10 years, I'd normally ask someone, Hey, the next five to seven years, your plan for multiplying, reproducing, what is it? However, before the call, um, you've just celebrated 10 years and you held up your phone and you have this really attractive phone case that says the next 10. Tell me about the next 10. Yeah, for, for us, the next 10 is, is multifaceted, but it's us looking to the next 10 years and us always looking to the next 10 church plants. So, you know, we planted or helped plant 10 churches in 10 years, but that was not engineered. We can't take credit for that. It's not like we set out and marked it on the calendar and, oh, it's April, got to plant another church. It's just the way the Lord worked it out. But how much more effective can we be in partnering with what God wants to do if we're actually thinking about it (laughs) and being strategic instead of just waiting for it to fall in our lap? And so we've put this next 10 stuff on everything so that we're constantly thinking, who are the next 10 church planters we're partnering with? How do we help plant the next 10 churches? And whether those next 10 churches take us eight years to plant, four years to plant, or one year to plant, we're always going to be thinking about the next 10 in pipeline. And how do we Mm. help the next 10 church planters? Some of those planters, all they need from us is a little graphic design help. Other planters need a whole bunch of help. And, and that's not for us to decide. Our, our commitment before the Lord is we're going to help the next 10 planters you bring our way, Jesus. And we're going to partner with them however they need us to, however we can to help plant the next 10 all the time. And so always before us. And uh, that, that has become the heartbeat of what we're trying to do. Hmm. That's fantastic. And, and you're not even looking at like 10 years 
to plant 10. You, you said it just happened to work out that it was 10 and 10. What does the next 10 look like? I mean, what's your dream? Would it be 10 in a year? Would it be 10 in two years? I mean, what's, what's your dream? If you could, if you could have anything. So my dream is less, and in our dream as a team, you know, it's really not mine. It's really us as a team has embodied this. But but our dream is really less about number of churches in X time span. But the the language we have begun to use, and, and the conversations we begin to have, is what would have to happen in us as a community of faith uh, to help a hundred churches plant in the next season. So instead of just thinking about, you know, 10 and 10, what would it look like to help 100 churches plant? And for us, that moves us from continuous change, where we just keep plodding along on the road we're on, to discontinuous change of everything we think about this will have to change for us to help 100 churches plant. Because at this rate, you know, it would take us a real long time to make that happen. And uh, so that, that's been our dream. Our dream is to, is to help 100 hundred churches plant. And, uh, man, when that happens, uh, we'll dream a new dream, but that, that feels uh, like a really, really beautiful thing to be part of. I could lay my head down at the end of my ministry life and say, we helped a hundred churches get planted, uh, okay. and be a real happy guy. So I'm going to press you a little bit here because that is super inspiring. And I have to ask you, you've been asking that question, what in us would need to change? I want to ask, what are some of the answers that you've come up with so far? What needs to change in you guys to become a reproducing church of a hundred churches? Yeah. So, so one thing that changed for us about five years ago, when we began to talk about becoming a reproducing church was just for our region and just for our style, if you will, we really felt like we had to figure out how to do this in a co-vocational way. We really didn't think that we were going to be able to plant the number of churches at the speed we felt led to if every time we planted, we had to have a full-time pastor with a budget, with an expense account, with all the things that go with that. And, uh, and, and no shade to be thrown on those who do it that way. I did it that way. Uh, but we really wanted to dream of another way. And so the first thing that had to shift for us is we had to move all of our staff off full-time staff. And so our church now at the 10-year mark, and we've been this way for about five years, have zero full-time staff. Everybody uh, works a full-time marketplace job, and then, then we do ministry, uh, like Joe the pharmacist in our church, right, who's, who's a missionary every day and also works a job in the marketplace. And uh, so that was a key shift for us that had to happen um, for us to be, be able to even open our mind to dream about that. And, and that's probably not true for every church to dream that way, but for us, given our size, that had to happen. We're not a church of 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 that can recruit planters in and make that happen. We're a church of about 100, 150. But because we're 100, 150 does not mean we can't help plant 100 churches. I'm, I'm beyond glad that you said that because... On this podcast, one of the things that's going to happen is people are going to constantly be fighting against that, uh, almost like a ghost of, you know, I have to have a church of thousands to reproduce. And here right. you are, a church of a hundred. Obviously, you've shaved off people. Um, yep. You know that that's what always happens is you have to you have to sacrifice some of the people you've invested in and discipled and 
Of course, Paul had to do that, you know. Um, Jesus recruited the 12, it says, to preach, and so he could send them out. It literally says that in Mark. So as we're gathering people in, discipling them, it's to send them out. And I just love that you brought that that size into it. So so this has actually been, in many ways, this hadn't just been like you've just been talking about it. This hadn't been all talk, no action. This actually hurts a little bit for you guys. You've so valued reproducing that you said, hey, I've I've had to um, and I want to actually make that move towards bivocationalism. And that that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, it's been it's been a huge sacrifice and a huge move. And and what that goes with it, uh, I I may venture the argument that our church has made the bigger sacrifice than our staff, because our church exists in a reality where they can't just drop by the office and see a pastor anytime they want, uh, because their pastor works in the marketplace. Right. Our, our church has sacrificed the joy of having a one-stop shop in their church where all the ministries and programs are availed to them because we have chosen to sacrifice those things so that we can invest in Guatemala and invest in church planting. So, yeah, our leaders have made sacrifices, and, and we've we've laid it on the line, and, and that's true, and I don't want to take anything away from that. But uh, our church has made the bigger sacrifice, and there are people— almost every month in the life of our church that either say it verbally or say it with their feet. Hey, I can't live out that vision. I'm going to go down the street to the big church that has all the programs for me and all the stuff because the amount of sacrifice it requires of me as a disciple to be part of disciples church is too high. It's too high a bar. Okay. And, uh, and, and we've, we've had to grieve that because these are people we love people who are our friends and so our church has made, you know, an even bigger sacrifice when they watch their friend go down the street to a different church because, you know, their friend hasn't really wrapped their head around what God's called us to be. And again, it's we don't have the, the theological high ground and we don't pretend to have it, but we're going to live into what God's called us to as best we know how. So the sacrifice is not just leaders. It's absolutely the church has to make that sacrifice, too. But a church of 20 can be a multiplying church. Absolutely. And quite frankly, a church of 20 might be more effective at multiplying because they're so stinking nimble. I mean, Mm. they can just move and groove so fast. Uh, So man, those churches out there that are not whatever the magical number is in your head that you think you have to be before you can plant. I mean, we have to explode that idea and uh, and not think that way at all. Uh, You know, Steve Tim is from crowded house. They, uh, they would start off with eight people. uh Those eight people in a small group in a missional community would attract and bring 12 people, uh, 12 unchurched people into this small group. It would grow to 20 and they called it crazy eights because what would happen is they would break one. They wouldn't break them into 10. They'd break one group into eight and the other one into 12. And they would tell the group of eight to bring 12 again and the group of 12 to invite eight. And they would, they would do it cleverly. They had a system for how they worked it out um, where the newer believers would break off into a group of 12, you know, with experienced uh, missional community leaders, but it was it was powerful, and they grew a church or a network of child churches. I guess you call them cell churches 
into a group of thousands in Sheffield, England. Europe is 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 no playground for church planners. Right. So, uh, you know, that whole idea. And I, I love even that you've said that. What you're hitting below the surface there is the is the bigger issue of the, the beauty of what they did is that mission was not optional. See, anytime we make mission optional, people opt out of it. Because <laughs> it's hard. Right there. And so what they did with Crazy Eights is mission is not optional. If you're right. going to be part of this community of faith, mission is not optional. Mission is actually what we do. Right. And God's mission was given a church, right. not the other way around. And so, I mean, you just nailed it. And it's just so beautiful when mission isn't optional. My vision of church is that in the future, um, people will leave churches because that discipleship is not in place. And yeah. that's why people will go down the street because they'll be like, hey, yeah. I thought we were here to be discipled. I thought we were here to be on mission. And I believe yeah. with what the Holy Spirit's been saying to the churches of late, that is the future. That is where we're going. Yeah. And uh, I there's, agree. There, there's definitely been an awakening. I mean, you know, kind of like what you've shared about you guys coming off full time paid staff. Flesh and blood does not reveal these things. So uh, and not that everyone has to do it. But, brother, I am so encouraged that you guys have been an example of not only a church of modest size multiplying like crazy, but also bivocationally, which is huge. So um, anyways, man, such an honor. So good to have you on here. Um, any, any final thoughts before we sign off today? Man, it's, it's a privilege to run with you. And uh, and thanks for the ways you're investing into the kingdom efforts because, you know, Peyton Jones is all over the place. I don't know how you keep it all straight. Uh, <laughs> So it's a, it's an honor to be connected to you and and a blast doing this together. And I, I really do look forward to gathering at some point, whether here or on the other side of eternity, with all of these multiplying church leaders and, and seeing the impact and the reach. Uh, exciting stuff. Really, really fun to be on Journey with you. Well, thanks for being one of them. Where can people connect with you? I know you've got disciples.church that you mentioned earlier. And that sounds like an awesome resource. Where else can people connect? Yeah, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stu Streeter, uh, Facebook Stu Streeter, S T U, and then just Street with an E R on the end. I'm on all those platforms, so you can find us there or shoot me an email, Stu at Disciples Church. Love to connect and really mean that. Like we just love connecting with church planters and whatever we have that can serve a planter, a planter to be. It's all yours. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Our goal is to help you get not from one, not from two, not from three, but to level four and eventually a level five multiplying church. And one of our other goals is also for you to discover practical ideas for you to gain reproducing vision and strategies, but not somebody else's. If nothing else, hopefully today, Stu has encouraged you and the work of Disciples Church and the team there to actually seek the Lord for your own vision of what multiplication and reproduction would look like for you. This has been Peyton Jones, and I'll be signing off today for Reproducing Churches podcast. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit exponential.org.